I'm Lauren, and I'm a veterinarian. I'm JJ, and I'm a veterinary technician. And you're listening to Introvets, a veterinary podcast by introverts with high-functioning anxiety. Welcome, everybody, to Introvets Podcast. Hi. The snack episode. Snack snack. Today, we are going to continue our series of snack episodes about dangerous snacks. Danger, danger. Will Robinson. So what 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 we uh what we snacking on today? Today we are going to talk about trimmergenic mycotoxicosis. Bless you. Sounds like a good time. It's such a good time. Mm, moldy. So um, you gonna let us know what that is? Sure. So trimmergenic mycotoxicosis is the development of tremors or seizures after ingesting moldy or decaying foods. Now, this happens mostly in dogs. There are actually no reported cases in cats because cats are smart. <laughs> they don't tend to go around eating moldy foods and things like that. Somebody needs to tell my cat that because if it ain't tied down, she's going to munch on it. <laughs> well, she's on steroids. so <laughs> That's true. We'll give her a get-out-of-jail-free card on that one. So we don't think it's that cats are somehow resistant. We just think that they don't really ingest large quantities of moldy things like dogs might. So they're getting the twitches from eating shrooms? Uh, Not exactly. I mean, sort of. (laughs) Sort of. Okay, well, let's talk about the etiology. So penicillium, aspergillus, and claviceps are species of fungi that produce tremorgenic mycotoxins. Now, these fungi grow on a variety of foods, Uh, Cheeses, breads, pastas, walnuts, uh, grains like rice, peanuts. They can be found in compost piles, um, in carcasses of dead animals, (laughs) um, in garbage or silage. And some other potential sources would be wood contaminated with fungi or like black walnut hulls. Hmm. We know that there are maybe around 20 trimmergenic mycotoxins overall. But there are really two that are considered clinically significant in animals. I can't find a consistent pronunciation of this word, so I'm going to give it my best shot. But uh, the most significant trimmerogenic mycotoxin in animals is penetrim A. And the other is roquefortine C. There's one more that is associated with fermented meats that's considered to be much less common. and Again, I'm giving this one my best shot. Veruculogen would be my guess at how to pronounce that. A good guess. <laughs> Again, we'll put these <laughs> names in the show notes so that you can see the spelling and look it up if you'd like. <laughs> Try it yourself at home. <laughs> That's right. Which one is the most toxic? Okay, so the most toxic is Penetrum A. This is produced mostly by Penicillium crustosum. <laughs> She crusty. <laughs> that sounds so gross. That sounds like something that would grow on moldy food. Like, what the hell? It does. <laughs> and then Roquefortine C is thought to be the other major trimmerogenic mycotoxin. But this is, like, becoming debated recently based on some more recent studies. Roquefortine C is produced by Penicillium Roqueforti, but... It can also um, be produced by other penicillium species, 
and of interest, Roquefortine-C also has a harmless variant, and this is uh, in the classic Roquefort blue cheese. So <laughs> this penicillin species is used in the production of blue cheese, and it's also naturally involved in the production of silages and feed grains. People listening to this podcast who enjoy stinky cheeses like I do might be familiar with Roquefort, which is a blue cheese made from sheep's milk, and it is from southern France. So fancy sock-smelling cheese. Exactly. Exactly. But um, the toxic stuff isn't in the cheese. I mean, obviously, because I think like then people would have germogenic mycotoxicosis. Personally, when that's they a matter of opinion. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So how does this uh, funky stuff make them sick? So animals are going to eat the moldy food, and the mycotoxins produced by those fungi are going to be absorbed pretty easily right after ingestion. Those mycotoxins are then excreted in the bile. There is maybe some kidney uptake and excretion in the urine, but primarily this is a liver-metabolized um, substance. And then enterohepatic recirculation may be at play, and this might contribute to prolonged recovery periods that are seen in some animals. Penetrum A crosses the blood-brain barrier very easily, and it causes increased release of aspartate and glutamate. Those are excitatory neurotransmitters from the cerebrocortical and spinal medullary synaptic terminals. At the same time, it decreases release of GABA and glycine, inhibitory neurotransmitters. Hmm. JJ, do you remember uh, how we got on the subject of this very recently in another episode? Uh, can you refresh my memory? Yes. Okay. So we talked about these inhibitory neurotransmitters in our tetanus episode. And that was just the last time we were in That was it. the last time you and I talked about <laughs> that stuff, I guess. Happy old. That's right. So um, if you all remember, in tetanus, there is suppression of GABA. So mm -hmm. we suppress the neurotransmitters that would typically calm the brain down, and that allows for too much excitement. Okay, so these mycotoxins go to the brain and stimulate the excitatory neurotransmitters while also suppressing the neurotransmitters that should calm shit down. So we get way too much brain excitement. And what we're going to see with that is muscle fasciculations, tremors, and sometimes even seizures. <laughs> now that's for the penetrum A. For the Roquefortine C, we're not really sure what the mechanism is. Originally, we thought uh, it must be doing the same thing. But some recent studies have shown that it is actually unlikely to be the same mechanism that Penetrum A exhibits. It's a mystery. It is a mystery. Yep. And the verruculogen, which again, I am guessing in that pronunciation, but it sounds nice. That one, that's the one from like spoiled meats. That reduces GABA levels. Varenka salt is the child that is just spoiled. The, the blueberry kid, right? Oh, I thought that was the, I want everything and I want it now. I don't know. The golden egg. I don't know. I hope that's the case because that fit nicely with the spoiled part. Mm. If not, my bad, because okay, that well, would be on par for Maybe me. there is some sort of... I thought Vi Violet was the blueberry girl. Oh, I have no idea. He gives me the heebie-jeebie as an adult. Mm. Willy Wonka is... 
I mean, there's a couple of scenes that I don't know, you know, I mean. Well, yeah, that's why I actually really hate Willy Wonka. Like, it freaks me out. It freaked me out as a kid. Like, even just me thinking about it now is kind of like a, like a weird <laughs> chalk chalkboard scratching type of feeling know. in my brain. I don't like it. I was a weird kid. I lived for stuff like that. Like, I would stay up late around Halloween and watch, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and laugh because I thought the gory parts were funny. Well, but that is different. For me, you know what it is? Willy Wonka creates feelings of existential dread, which is way worse than the dread of a serial killer hiding in cornfields mm-hmm. with a chainsaw. I guess I missed that. I just, you know, <laughs> I was happy that there might be a world out there made out of candy. And uh, the only part that really bothered me is at the end when he like yelled at them, you stole fizzy lifting drinks. And when he was yelling, I was like, mm-hmm. I got really frustrated. Um, I don't still don't remember the plot fully, but they do something they're not supposed to do they and they the start floating drinks. Yeah. Okay. That kind of shit when someone is doing something they're not supposed to do and I'm like, you're making a dumb decision and you're going to fuck it up. You're going to get in trouble. That gives me severe like secondhand anxiety and I can manage it a lot better as an adult. But as a kid, I didn't know what mm-hmm. was happening. And so I'd be like, this movie makes me feel fucking terrible man like i don't like it at all so anyway so um let's uh go back to the episode (laughs) i don't know exactly how we got on rink assault oh there we go it is bold me okay well maybe how do we go about diagnosing this so diagnosis is usually based on clinical signs in history there are not really any specific abnormalities that you're going to see on say like a chemistry profile that you would run in-house Now, you might see some changes to a chemistry profile if you've had prolonged clinical signs. So if the patient has dehydration or they've developed metabolic acidosis or they're getting rhabdomyolysis from all of the tremors, then obviously you would see those sorts of abnormalities. But there's no, you know, tip off on a chemistry panel that this is what's going on. Now, you can test for the actual mycotoxin, Mm -hmm. so assays are available. This is going to be liquid chromatography tandem mass spectrometry. (laughs) Damn it, I almost had it. Okay, so close. All right, one more time. Liquid chromatography tandem mass spectrometry. It's close enough. (laughs) And it can be used to detect the mycotoxins in vomit, in gastric contents, urine, serum, and bile. And you can also test the source material. So say like you know that a dog got into a bunch of moldy spaghetti. Uh, I say that because that's the thing I've seen the most for some reason. Anyway, I don't know why people like to keep moldy spaghetti, but apparently they do. So then the dog eats it and you they're like, oh, shit, they ate this. And then you like in just vomiting, you could theoretically then send that out to the lab to test. I'm not sure like how... Helpful that would be because the clinical signs, if they're going to get them, they do happen pretty quick, as we're going to talk about here in a minute. So I'm going to say that I am unsure of like the real world clinical implications of being able to do these tests, because my guess is that they'd have to go to the outside lab. I mean, I don't know of any like point of care testing like this. Mm -hmm. And so you're talking about something with an onset of activity that's very short and a test that would take more than a day to come back. So maybe like if the dog was 
having symptoms and you didn't know what was going on and then you wanted to test to see if you were right, mm-hmm. that might be helpful. Yeah. And then, you know, on necropsy, okay, mm-hmm. or if you end up taking biopsies, if you were going to do histopath, you are going to potentially see evidence of ingestion of some sort of source material. And in the literature, the main thing that they talked about was pieces of walnuts. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that's been like a really common situation. Okay, but so you might find the literal evidence still in the GI tract. Mm -hmm. And then like histologically, you will see cytoplasmic vacuolation of cerebral cortical neurons, multifocal hemorrhages, and swelling of astrocytes and Purkinje cells of the cerebellum. There will also be multifocal hemorrhage in the lung, liver, stomach, and kidneys. And you might be able to isolate a mycotoxin from tissues like the liver, kidney, and brain. Mm -hmm. How much of the mycotoxin needs to be ingested to cause any clinical signs? So the sources from my research showed uh, kind of a range. So Mild tremors are going to be expected if a patient eats around 0.125 milligrams per kilogram of the Penetrum A mycotoxin. Mm -hmm. They are going to have severe muscle tremors if they ingest 0.175 milligrams per kilogram of the Penetrum A. And if they ingest 0.5 milligrams per kilogram or higher of the Penetrum A mycotoxin, that's when we're going to see clonic tetanic seizures. At two and a half to five milligrams per kilogram of the Penetrum A mycotoxin, you're going to see potentially death, and that would happen from necrosis of the liver. That doesn't seem like much. It doesn't seem like much. No, it's uh, just small amounts that Mm. are required to cause clinical signs. Yikes. So what types of dogs are predisposed to this? Well, there's not really any breed, age, or sex predilections that have been consistently reported. But in one study, they did find that the median age of affected dogs was 3.8 years. So you could say maybe young dogs. But in that study, their range of ages was anywhere from six months of age all the way up to 13 years. Hmm. So I think if you've got a food-driven dog who likes to hoover up everything in sight, age is not going to really be a factor. Hmm. So I'm going to say I think a signalment predisposition is going to be dogs that are like, ooh, let me eat every damn piece of food in sight no matter what. So both of mine. (laughs) Piggies. So what are some clinical signs? Well, after ingesting the mycotoxin, you're going to start to see symptoms anywhere from 30 minutes to up to two to three hours later. And those signs are going to start with restlessness, hyperactivity, maybe panting. You might also see weakness. They are going to have some hypersalivation and they may or may not be actively vomiting. Mm. If they are going to vomit, it usually occurs before the onset of neurologic signs. And then muscle tremors begin, and they start out kind of mild to moderate, and they progress if left untreated. We might also see full-blown seizures with this. And then hyperthermia, or elevated body temperature, is common because of all the excessive muscle activity. Mm. And then other symptoms that you might see include nystagmus, medriasis, hyperesthesia, increased sensitivity to noise, diarrhea, flatulence, tachycardia, recumbency, and dehydration. Um, How do you treat it? 
like with any problem, you want to treat the life-threatening situations first. Mm -hmm. So if the patient is um, flat out coming in, you know, the front desk is like, holy crap, this animal is looking real bad. We're obviously going to triage that pet, get it back, get a catheter in, give it some oxygen if it needs it, and assess from there. In these dogs that have elevated temperatures, we want to avoid the impulse to aggressively cool them down. Uh, Once the tremors and seizures stop, usually the temperature will come on and normalize. So we don't want to like dunk them in ice or something like that. You know, maybe you can do light cooling, put them in front of a fan, get an IV started with some fluids, but you don't want to do anything really aggressive there. If they're actively seizing, you would want to use anticonvulsant therapy. Mm-hmm. We've talked about this a lot on the podcast during our episodes on mm-hmm. toxic snacks, but we'll go over it again. So you might need a range of medicines to treat seizures. Uh, diazepam or midazolam. You might need phenobarbital. Or you might need propofol or even general anesthesia for your more refractory cases. Or if these guys head towards status epilepticus. And then if only tremors are present with no seizures, methocarbamol works super well for that. Mm -hmm. You also want to consider GI decontamination. Now, you don't induce vomiting in a dog that has neurologic signs. So an actively seizing dog, dog with significantly altered mentation, it's a no because we got that risk of aspiration. Mm -hmm. However, if you have an asymptomatic dog brought in that just ate two pounds of moldy spaghetti, Let's induce vomiting in that dog, for sure. In patients with severe seizures, you might need to induce general anesthesia and consider gastric lavage. That's especially if very large amounts of the moldy substance were ingested. And then we would give activated charcoal, making sure you consider aspiration as a risk, though, in the neuro cases. So we've got to be careful how we administer it. We might need to tube them with it or something like that, depending on the status of the dog. And then we want to monitor the electrolytes, especially sodium, because we can induce the sodium abnormalities with the administration of activated charcoal. And then you can give IV lipid emulsion. Uh, This has been used successfully to help treat these guys. But there are some possible side effects, and those include hyperlipidemia, pancreatitis, and corneal lipidosis. Otherwise, we're talking about supportive care, IV fluid therapy, Uh, drugs for vomiting, and then minimizing external stimuli. So maybe put them in a little sleeping mask, put them in a darkened area, minimize noises and quick movements around them. How do you go about monitoring them? Well, you do want to keep track of vitals. So blood pressure, heart rate, body temperature, and their general neurologic status are going to be important to monitor. You also want to look for myoglobinuria, Uh, So this is going to be like dark colored urine that might show, hey, this patient is starting to get rhabdo from this. You want to monitor for respiratory signs because unfortunately aspiration can occur quite frequently with this because you have uh, vomiting uh, with ingestion of the neurotoxin and then sometimes we're inducing vomiting in a patient that's not 100% neurologically sound, so we've got to be careful. And then if the signs are really severe and persistent, we need to monitor complete blood count and coagulation profile to screen for disseminated intravascular coagulation, or DIC. Also, if hemorrhage is noted or in cases of really severe elevated body temperature, we need to look for those coagulation abnormalities. Mm -hmm. So what's the prognosis? 
How well they do tends to depend on how much mycotoxin is ingested and also how big of a delay occurs between the onset of symptoms and someone seeking vet care for the patient. Usually, symptoms are going to resolve within 24 to 72 hours, but residual signs are possible. Those residual signs include things like tremors and ataxia, and they can persist for days to weeks in some dogs. And there was a single report of a dog who had tremorigenic mycotoxicosis who continued to have residual signs for three years after the incident. That's a long time to be twitching. Yes, that sounds crazy. Mm -hmm. So what can we do to prevent this mess? Well, first off, don't feed moldy food to your dogs. That means don't clean out your refrigerator and feed them the gross scraps you get out of there. You'd be surprised how many people do that. Uh, That's a bad policy. Mm -hmm. So don't do it intentionally. And then also try to, you know, limit their ability to accidentally get stuff like that. So Mm -hmm. in all the times that I've seen this, the vast majority of the time it's been, I just cleaned out my refrigerator. And not even necessarily I purposely fed it to the dog, but I threw it in a trash can put it outside. Okay, the dog got into that. Or Mm -hmm. they put it in the kitchen trash and the dog tipped it over and ate it all. And then I've seen one dog that ate moldy fruit that had fallen in the yard. So like it was like this um, berry bush at the back of their yard and uh, they would just let the berries fall and not collect them. And so they had molded on the ground and the dog was back there hoovering up all those moldy berries and then got the tremors from that. Mm -hmm. So Pick up uh, any kind of fruit that falls from trees that you guys aren't going to eat or nuts, too. So any sort of legume, any sort of tree nut, you know, that you guys have that's fallen that you're not going to harvest. Make sure that you at least get them out of the yard so that the dog doesn't eat the moldy version of it. Don't let dogs play in your compost, things Mm -hmm. like that. Well, that was pretty short and sweet, but that's really the basics of trimogenic mycotoxicosis. Mm. I think it's a good idea to, you know, have this information so that you can recognize this if you see it um, and treat it appropriately. But there's not a whole lot of mystery here. It's just pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Stay away from the moldy. That's right. Don't eat moldy things. Don't let your dogs do it either. You. All right, JJ. Well, um, before we wrap up today's episode, we haven't done a favorite thing in a little while. So let's do one before we sign off. Okay. Okay. Do you want to go first? Sure. Okay. Hit me. My favorite thing is it's spooky season. It's Halloween season. It's Halloween. We got our decorations out. Not completely done with them, but about 80% there. Yeah. And... We are going to have a little family party and a theme, and it's going to be zombie prom. And it's going to be hilarious <laughs> because I found, and it was pretty darn cheap, Yeah, a um a way to make a giant balloon arch Oh yeah, to set up for prom pictures. Yeah, you did. Yes, I did, mm-hmm. because why wouldn't I? Are you going to make people pose in like the traditional prom photo pose? Like, yeah, why wouldn't I? I don't know. It's just I mean, exciting. The family has been warned. There is a theme. And while you don't have to dress up, the words of Matthew McConaughey, it'd be a lot cooler if you did. That's true. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Well, I am also excited about the spooky season. The next episode that you and I will record is the Halloween Spooktacular 2003. 
2023. 2003. <laughs> wow. 20 years behind. Whoops. <laughs> that sounds about right. It's babies. Mm-hmm. You just graduated vet school, didn't you? In 2003? Yeah. No, I was uh, still in college. Mm. Mm-hmm. When did you graduate vet school? 2008. Oh, that's yeah. right. 2003, I'd have been a junior in college. Mm. Yep. I think I was two, yep, two years post somewhat still of a, a bit of a baby tech. Mm-hmm. That's a long time ago. Anywho, what else is your favorite thing? So this past weekend in real time, which is different from podcast time, JJ and I went to continuing education mm-hmm. and we went down to Auburn for annual conference uh, because technically this was like my 15 year reunion and everything. Um, they used to hold it in the spring, but I guess now they bumped it to the fall. So I've been graduated like a little bit more than 15 years at this time, but it, there's kind of just getting around to the reunion, I guess. Mm-hmm. So we went down and, uh, we went to like a cool, um, event after the CE on Saturday where we could meet animals from the Southeastern Raptor Rehabilitation Center. And so that was my favorite part of the whole thing. I got my picture made with uh, our golden eagle, and we also visited with a screech owl. I mean, the RBF was real. <laughs> that it was owl. the tiniest little thing, <laughs> yeah, but it so packed small. a mean mug. It would just stare at you like, I wish you fucking would. That's right. Come at me. Come at me. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, you would fit in my pocket. And he's like, try it. So I didn't, but I wanted to because he was cute too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Very cute. Um, and so we had a good time at meeting the birds. I was so excited mm-hmm. because I love birds. I love raptors. And I've been to the Southeastern Raptor Rehab Center like a lot, obviously going through undergrad at Auburn and then vet school. I mean, it's, you know, we had like rotations there sometimes and that kind of thing. But like as far as up close and personal interaction with them, that was the first time I'd seen them up close since, I mean, in 15 years, probably. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's just so fantastic. And (laughs) you know how much I love my birds Mm -hmm. and my bird watching in my backyard. So to see them up close is a really magical experience for me. I wish I had my phone at the ready when you found the ticket that said what (laughs) it was going to be available. And you were like, oh. I can do a picture made with a rap. I was like, okay, I think she's excited about this. She's really excited. That's the whole reason I went to the whole thing, really. <laughs> we also got to see a demo by uh, the bomb sniffing dog, you know, mm-hmm. there. Um, I was they, excited about that. They call it now, what do they call it? Canine Performance Sciences mm-hmm. uh, Division. Um, but that's really cool. Uh, all of the work they do at Auburn with, um, you know, keeping people safe. Mm-hmm. So that's my favorite thing. Shout out to Sister Sally. She did a good job. She did do a good job. (laughs) All right, guys. Well, that's all the time we have for today. If you have stories, questions, cases, or anything else you'd like for us to read, please send it to introvetspodcast at gmail.com. And you can find us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, and it's at introvets. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It really does help. Sure do. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.